0: in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12. And this is the fourth and I think the last installment on our series on the will of God. How many of you have been here for all three before? Good, I trust that it's been relevant to you and applicable for where you are. And if not where you are, most assuredly where you're going. If you'd stand with me, uh, out of reverence for the word of God, we'll read these two verses. Give you a brief... Catch up, and then we'll get into the last part of this lesson on the will of God. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, which means I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you should present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you. You may be seated this morning. Last week we covered three points, and I just want to read them to you briefly. And if you were not here last week, feel free to visit the media desk or to go online, and you can watch these messages. But the first thing about, uh, well, the message was on experiential truths. Uh, we covered several areas of the will of God, but these are experiential truths that I've learned along the pathway as well as saints that have gone before me, that if you, you have this knowledge, they're like um, signposts for you. And you understand that these things often happen, maybe not in order, but they happen in the lives of those that were following the will of God as it's revealed to them. And the first is this, you may not get to do what you want to do. David wanted to build God a temple, but God said, No, you're not going to be able to do that, although it's a good thing. It's not the God thing that I want you to do. And we have to be careful that we don't spend our life doing good things only, but that we do the thing God has created us to do. Paul said, I follow after him that I might apprehend that for which I've been apprehended of God in Christ Jesus. Why did you grab me? What's the purpose? I want to make sure I do the perfect will of God for my life. Secondly, You may not get to travel the path you would have chosen. Just like Jesus being led into the wilderness, He wouldn't have took that path. And God has specific destinations for us and narrow pathways. And narrow pathways lead to specific destinations, but we usually wouldn't have taken that pathway. But God knows all things and He knows where to take us, how to take us, and when to take us. Number three, you may not get the support you expected. Paul said, Demas, having loved this present world, forsook me. But let me read these to you before we get into today's lesson. You may not get to do what you wanted to do, but you will get to do what God created you to do. You may not get to travel the expected path, but you will get to travel the best one. And you may not get the support you expected, but you will get the sufficient grace that God has promised. So that brings us to number four this morning. If you're taking notes, number four, you may not get to keep what you've been given. Let me just give a disclaimer before we get into the next three points. The will of God, there's the express will of God that he gives us in his word and tells us how to live. And then there's the discerned will of God. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells us where to work, who to marry, um, where to live. And we're not to pursue the will of God, we're supposed to surrender to it as He reveals to us what it is and where it is. And with the will of God is a great peace. There's great joys, there's supernatural powers, there are divine interactions. There's things that you know come from the hand of God, the heart of God, angelic visitations that maneuver. It's a life of great glory But if all you hear is that part, you get very confused when the cost comes in. And I want to be that balanced voice for you in this age where everything is, not only is God is good, but everything's good. Well, no, there's difficulty, there's trial. And in the will of God, this has to be, I've learned this. I've lived this following Him with deep assurance. I've learned that you don't always get to keep what you have. The will of God is a constant process of emptying and filling. Emptying of ourselves, filling with God. The Bible says in Matthew 16, For whosoever shall save his life will lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life, which means allow it to perish or even destroy. Whoever does this with his life shall find it. Well, what do you mean destroy my life, John? It means your control over it. Not the life, the breathing in and out, but the life that you create. Whosoever will let go of that. If I let go of it, that means I let go of the things that I have chosen or or that I might want. In coming to God, He purchased our lives. He then strategically and systematically requires of us to give it back to Him in a multitude of ways. Now, I just want to read through these. I don't want to spend too much time, but I want to give you some examples. To the rich young ruler, he said, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. And he left grieving because he was wealthy. To the rich young ruler, he asked him for the hindering thing. This thing that's between you and my will, I want you to give it to me. And because he refused, he left sorrowful and he stayed sorrowful. And sometimes the things that are in between us and God are not necessarily evil things, but they hinder us. That's why it's important that you know God's will for your life and you don't let other people tell you what the hindering thing is. The Holy Spirit will tell you. This is in the way. Let go of this. He asked the disciples for the securing thing. They left their nets. Matthew left the table of custom, which meant that was their job security. And when missionaries step out on the field and when pastors pioneer churches and when you open your home, when you change abruptly change your life and you realize if I follow this, I may lose it all. That is a security issue. When you let go of security, and by the way, there is no security. You do understand that. Well, I got my retirement. I got my 401K. I got money in the bank. What are you going to do when the economy collapses? And it will collapse, by the way. I'm not a pessimist. I'm optimistic that it will collapse. And your little bank doors are locked and no one answers the phone in New Delhi anymore. And they say you have a zero balance. The only security is in God. And so if you've got a few fishing boats, that's not secure. They understood that whatever I leave, I have. I've got to be, and it's not that you just go give everything away. It's that you hold everything that God gives you like this. Listen to this. Jacob gave up the precious thing when he lost Rachel. Abraham gave up the irreplaceable thing when he offered up Isaac. God asked him for the boy he had waited on, the promised child. And he said, you can have it. When he went to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, he said, the lad and I go yonder to worship, but we'll come back again. When you can offer God the thing that you can't replace, and call it worship. You are in the perfect will of God. And don't be surprised if the crowds will not follow you up that mountain. They would rather clutch the gift than honor the giver. Carnal hearts won't hear that. And boy, it's a lot harder to preach that now than I've got a little boy and two little girls. When I think of him walking up a mountain and lifting a knife to take his only son's life. And God said, since I now have seen you not withhold this from me. He became the father of the faithful. And he became an example for all of us that should follow him. So what was the example? Don't keep anything from God. Anything that you care more for than the Lord is an idol. It's an idol. And it's hard not to worship something you adore. John the Baptist gave him the only thing. I remember when the Lord showed me this in his scripture, and I was just so humbled by it. When John the Baptist was in prison, and you know, he'd already said, he must, I must decrease and he must increase. And when he found himself in prison, he said, Go ask Jesus, is he really the Messiah? Or should we look for another? That's the same John the Baptist that saw Jesus coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He pointed him out and now he said, Go ask him, is he he or should we look for another? I always wondered, how can you go from so confident to unsure? Because God asked him for the only thing he had. John the Baptist wore camel hair. There ain't nothing about that sounds good. If you've ever been petting zoo and petted a camel, they smell like diseased, I don't know. So if you're wearing the skin and hair of a camel, it was really the poorest man's clothes. So he's eating grasshoppers. Locusts are just like GMO grasshoppers is all they are there. Just, you know, what Survivor, what they do on Survivor just for a challenge. That was his meal and dip it a little honey. I bet he did dip it in some honey. I'd be like, can you pour some more honey? <laughs> I'd have me a jug of honey running all up and down my arm eating. What did he have? Freedom. He would lay on his back and see the stars in the sky. And God asked him for it. And put him in a prison. There's a roof over his head. And he said, the only thing I have you took from me. I'm not trying to be negative because there's a glorious side to this. But follow along. Look at this. When God asks something from you that he's not asking from someone else, it's because he wants to give something to you not available to someone else. Watch this. He wanted the rich young ruler to give away some money and have eternal life. He wanted to give the disciples for their fishing boats and table of custom for their security. He was going to give them thrones in heaven. He wanted to give Abraham. He wanted to not just take Abraham's son. He wanted to make Abraham the friend of God. The first person in the Bible called the friend of God. And he wanted to bless him with 10 million sons. He wanted John the Baptist to decrease so completely that he could highly exalt him in heaven. How can you say that? The Bible doesn't say he's highly exalted. No, it tells us he was going to be because as soon as John the Baptist sent the word, Jesus said of him, never hath been born a man greater of woman than that man. So if that's Jesus' assessment of him on the earth, guess what his reward is going to be in heaven? And there are those of you that the, the, the will of God has took you into difficult places and you've lost things. You've buried things like Jacob. You've endured things. It's been, there's been things taken from you. I can't imagine. I've got a preacher friend of mine in town that buried his two-year-old little boy. And he tells me the story. I'm like, how? Why? We, we travel this. Why would God give me a life and watch it die and listen if you live long enough you're going to go through your own wilderness where you don't have bearings and moorings and what's eternal is going to stay and stand and you understand God is good regardless of what happens to me and when something is lost it means he wants to give me something that wasn't available to me and in heaven it will be clear I love the hymns. I love old hymns. But some of them were doctrinally wrong. Just like choruses are doctrinally wrong. You got to be careful what you sing. Like, you know, one of the hymns says, when I kneel in prayer, I hope to meet you there. Hope. Like Jesus might not be in or something. (laughs) But there are hymns that talk about, uh, we'll understand it better. And it says, we'll ask the reasons He'll tell us why. No, you won't. You ain't going to ask him nothing. You're going to get to heaven and you are going to be glorified and you are going to have the mind of God. You're going to see everything clear and you're going to say, perfect are you in all your ways. Perfect are you. I was looking through the lens of a few years and you were looking through hundreds of millions of years of eternity. You, you didn't take something from me. You sowed something into eternity and it came up this beautiful field of glory. Great are you, Lord. But you need to know that you cannot always keep what you've been given. And Jesus told him, no man that has lost house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels but will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, and in the one to come eternal life, and in that day the last shall be first. You may not get to keep what you've been given here, but you will get to keep everything you send ahead there. You may not keep everything here, but everything you send ahead. The Bible says there's no thieves, no rust, no corruption. And I want to drive this point home. And so I'm going to say it as clearly as I know how. Whatever you keep from God will keep you from God. Is there anything that He could ask of you or that you would lose that would make you turn from Him? My wife, my babies, my ministry, my dreams, my pleasures. I will not clutch the thing he put in my hand because the thing in hand will keep you from the thing he wants to put in your hand. So you pick for me. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be. name of the Lord and eternity will make it all clear for years I used to preach that I have not found one benefit from my earthly dad dying when I was a little boy not one not one but now I do I really do as horrible as it was With all the trauma that come with it and the void and all of the other. One of the benefits is that I understand the preciousness, the need, and the power of being a dad in someone's life. I got it. I see it. And some of your greatest losses, God's trying to create the strongest things in you if you'll just let it go. I can't say that now without wanting to sing the song because of Frozen playing all through my house. I just, just let it go. Let it go, people. Let it go. Let it go. For the love of God, let it go. And for those of you that watch the movie, don't shut me out. Don't shut me out. How many of y'all were raised on them? Let me just take a break because it's been real heavy. Y'all remember I'm going to do my one imitation for you. I've never done it in church before. You know, stuff from movies like uh, Disney movies and all. I watched "Aladdin with this little boy Daniel that we raised. I know I watched it a thousand times. So you remember when there's this cavern above ground in the wilderness in the, in the desert, and it was full of golden riches, but only the guy that was worthy that could go in there? Do you remember? And this little Abdul Sahib, somebody, you knew he was crooked. Like, that house is going to collapse on him, you know. And he puts his little foot. Do you all know what I'm talking about, this part? So he puts his foot up there, and he goes, hmm. And he goes in, and it collapses on him. And then uh, the guy says, well, maybe he wasn't worthy. Oh, there's a surprise. I think I'm going to have a heart attack and die from that surprise. We're never going to find the stupid lamp. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. It's emblazoned. And then he goes, easy, fuego, or whatever. (laughs) Has nothing to do with the sermon, but it gave us a... (sighs) All right. Gilbert Godfrey for you young people. Okay. In not getting to do what we want to do, that's a matter of authority. In not getting to travel the path we would have chosen, that's a matter of predestination. In not getting the support we expect, that's a matter of dependence who you depend on, and not getting to keep what you've been given, that's a matter of priorities. And this next point is a matter of refining, preparation, and maturation. So number five, you may not get a pass on the things that make life hard. That was one of the things we talked about, but that was more an attitude of clutching. Don't ever clutch the things that God gives you. You may not get a pass on the things that make life hard to bear. I'm sorry to tell you that what, what is being presented generally, there are exceptions, but generally on Christian television is not real, okay? First of all, it's not as bad as the, it's not all pessimism. The Bible speaks of joy unspeakable and full of glory. But primarily, this is not the, this is not the dance. This is the preparation, our life on earth is not about getting us comfortable. It's about getting us prepared for the life to come. And in God's will, there's a refining process. And we're not refined by blessings. We're refined by difficulty and stri- trial and testing and purging. And you're going to have your share of those. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. And through much Tribulation, you inherit the kingdom of God. You need to know that, but you're going to inherit it. And there's going to be great joy along the way, but there's going to be difficulty. It's hard to live in a system where there's satanic rule temporarily. The world lieth under the wicked one. We're the despised. There's great opposition. Ephesians 6, 6 says, We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And spiritual wickedness and rulers in dark and high places. We wrestle against demonic forces. You're going to have great vulnerability. Where God told Elijah, go show yourself to King Ahab and I'll send rain on the earth. And that's a death sentence. To go stand in front of the king when the king has employed thousands of people just to find him to kill him. And sometimes you're going to have to be very vulnerable to follow God we're wrestling demons, we're in vulnerable places where we step out on nothing and hope it holds us up because the Lord's asking us to do this, you're going to experience great misunderstanding, some of you. That's hard for me. It's very hard when I'm misunderstood. You know, because you want to just tell them, The things they need to know so they'll know I'm a great guy. That's how we feel. If you just knew the facts. But misunderstanding and then you holding your tongue does a deep work in you. Let me give you an example. Jesus said, if they called the master of the house, Christ himself, Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, guess what they're going to call you? And our goal is not to change people's minds about us. That's why we don't defend ourselves for years and years. It's not been a problem for several years. But in the middle years, I told our church staff, don't ever defend me or this church. Don't ever defend us. It is not our job or calling to let everyone understand us. Let your ministry and your life be your defense. So if they're going to call Jesus the devil, you know we're in trouble. But misunderstanding has a way of purifying you and, and... Harnessing you, disciplining you, where you're free from the addiction of the opinions of people. People are crazy, crazy. You can't get your bearings from them. To hear some people talk to me, you know, after they're done, I'm so filled with pride. I think I'm, you know, there's God, Jesus, and me. I'm not Jesus. Here's some people, I'm the Antichrist. I ain't either one. My name's John, I'm in the middle. You've you, you got to let it have its perfect work though and understanding, understand that misunderstanding is a tool that God uses. Let them talk. Let God be your defense. Learn to satisfy yourself on the opinion of the Spirit in your heart. When you wake up and you say, God, are me and you good? And He said, me and you are good. Let it be enough. Let them talk. Because the words of men fall to the ground. But the words of God stand forever. There's great mistreatment. The Bible in Hebrews 11 talks about those that obtained a good report through faith. They had cruel mockings, scourgings, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, cut in half, tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, mountains, dens, and caves. And they all obtained a good report through faith. I'm amazed at the charismatic Pentecostal personalities, of which I am one. I am Pentecostal to my toes. But I'm amazed at the the prevailing theology that if I'm right, and God's right, and I'm right with God, everything works. Now, had these people had any faith, they could have came out of that cave. Whoop! Come out! of the cave they're cutting you in half i don't know what they're cutting with but that's a bad day i don't if it's a jagged saw a sword an animal's chewing you in half i don't know when you're being cut in half oh just be positive i'm positive they cut me in half sawn in half stoned murdered run through with a sword and we're taught that if they had faith they could, have accept, they could have escaped it. But God said they obtained a good report through faith. So faith didn't deliver them. Faith took them through it. Some things, great deliverance. And here's, here's one of those things, if you'll grasp this. This has helped me so much. Paul is a perfect example. They'd put Paul in prison and angels would come and the doors would just fall off the hinges. Or he'd walk through a wall. Paul's like, now that's deliverance. There's unmistakable now when you're walking through uh, gates and prison guards and you're walking through them. I would, don't you just wish you could. Some of these things, I'd have been like, ooh, just walking through them. And other times, there was a time a woman let him out of a window in a bucket. (laughs) Seriously, look in your Bible. So they're coming to kill him, and they say, get in this bucket. They say, Girl, I can't fit in this bucket. So they pammed him up, sprayed a little pam on him, put him in the bucket. Can you imagine he's holding on the sides of his little bucket, just barely in the bucket, just everything hanging out the bucket. They're lowering him down the window. Is that deliverance? It just wasn't powerful. And sometimes God gives you. A bucket deliverance <laughs> And other times there's angels and powers, and the proof of God in our life is we've made it out of everything so far. We've made it out of everything and through everything, but they're go- you're going to be tested. And it's not always power, but it's powerful. Expect both. There's great testing, disappointment, disillusionment, weakness, obstacles. 1 Peter 1 says, Greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus. Your faith is being tested. Imagine a laboratory, and they put your faith into this vial, and they turn this white heat on it. Faith is not tested by... What you say or what other people say, faith is tested when it is put to the boiling point, and all the dross has gone out of it. That's how we get gold more valuable and more precious than of gold that perishes. You you put such heat to gold that the dross elements go to the top, and you scrape it off. And the more pure the gold, the higher the carrot. So it is with your faith. We'll suffer loss and, like Job, and suffer. But the Bible says that if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. So here's what I've learned in the will of God I can be in the will of God with the smile of God, with the blessings of God, and the glory of God, and still have it difficult. And you need to know that. Ease is not the stamp of God's approval. Listen, peace is. Ease is not the stamp. Because if your money can buy it, it's not eternal. And money can buy you ease. But there's a lot of people with millions of dollars in the bank that can't sleep and can't hold their food down. And some of us have little to nothing. And we look over at our wife in the bed and we're praying with our little boy before we go to bed. And we're in a small house or a trailer and have little. But you got peace. And young people, I know you don't believe this now, but as you get older, you would give everything in your life away to have peace. Peace, peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Sometimes God boils all the little stuff out of your life to make room for peace. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, it is. I need any in my notes. That's good. <laughs> Listen to this. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit, which means He tells us that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, this is Romans 8, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, which means that some won't. If is conditional, right? If you suffer with him, you may also be glorified together with him. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. The rewards in heaven are not gifts. They're earned. Grace is not earned. It is a gift. And those of you that are patient in tribulation, those of you that worshipped at the gravesite, those of you that have pushed on through loss and difficulty and confusion, and even if you're feeble, you're faithful. The Bible says that if I suffer with Him, which means I don't pull away from Him. I'm like, where else am I going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. The Bible said you'll also share in His glory. If you share in His sufferings, you'll share in His glory. If you share in the misunderstanding, you'll share in the validation. If you share in the loss, you'll share in the gain. If you share in the death, You'll share in the life. You see, I'm a joint heir, which means I'm connected with Christ. What if, like a slingshot, what if all of your loss and all of your pain and all of your... Yeah, I'm making sure that baptismal pool ain't open. All of your misunderstanding, all of the disappointments, all of the hurt, what if it lets go and it goes that far into eternity with blessing? It says so. I reckon, which means I count, I add it up, I'm doing math. The sufferings of this present world aren't even worth a second look compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Do you understand? Let me just take a minute here. I just feel like I'm supposed to. How can God wipe away tears so that we, we will never cry again? There shall be no tears, no sorrow, nor pain. For those things have passed away and God makes all things new. Now, okay, God doesn't do magic. It's not like, and God doesn't do magic. He's powerful. What does he do? The glory in heaven is going to be so great. It's going to eclipse it. It's going to be like so bright. So here's the little candle of our suffering. And then 10 million sunshines come out. I have people ask me, they said, you know, especially those of us that have lost children and loved ones and they're in heaven, they said, will they still be my wife or will still be my husband there? The Bible says we'll know as we've been known. But it's not the same. And they go, no, like bad. No, no, it's a hundred times better. I will know my wife in heaven. But the glory will be so great that my first idea will not be who she is. It will be in who He is. All the suffering is going to be a distant... I don't think He erases our mind, but I think it's so glorious that you can't bring it back up. It's like it just just squelches it. It's like no sorrow ever again. There is a day coming when we will have cried our last tear. And this narrow pathway filled with obstacles, filled with opposition. It's like a rocket trying to get into space. And you see it doing all that shaking till it breaks the what? Gravitational pull. And a rocket will use up 80, 90% of its fuel just trying to get out. You've wondered, there's someone here. I just believe in my heart because it's not in my notes. You've asked the Lord, why is it... Why is my life doing like this? Because you're about to break the gravitational pull, baby. It's, it's shaking because we're opposing the gravity of this world. This world wants to be here. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this narrow pathway with great obstacles and great opposition brings a shaking. But there's a day coming soon when the trump of God goes off and we break the gravitational pull. Gone. 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 How do you know you broke through? I stopped shaking. If you think it's been difficult here, Wait till you see how glorious it will be there. For those of you old enough, you remember the chorus? What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And then he'll take me by the hand and lead me through the promised land. Oh, that's ridiculous. There'll be millions of people in heaven. He won't have time. We got eternity, baby. He can take all the time he wants with all of us. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. And another one, if you don't mind me reminiscing, it shall be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. He's going to call your name. He's going to call your name. John, hey, you made it. You promised. Through much tribulation, much anguish. Now watch. First the natural, then the spiritual. Life comes through labor. We were born again through the womb of the Spirit, labor. When we go into our heavenly reward, it's like the water breaking. And instead of crying, there's joy forevermore. I'll read this part again. If you think life is difficult here, wait till you see how glorious it will be there. And finally, number six... You may not have the last chapter in life that you thought. You may not have the last chapter in life that you thought. Ben, if you would come on up, please. You may not get to finish with the ease which you expected. We work towards retirement. They take your retirement away. You see men work hard all their life and get right near retirement and their body fail them. One of the ways that we shoot ourselves in the foot, if you will, is we picture how it's going to be. And if it doesn't end like that or work like that, we get disappointed with God. And he never gave us that picture. How many of you were raised like me with the work ethic? You work hard, you set money aside, you do this, everything's there. Well, not necessarily. It may not end with the ease. That we expected. You may not get to finish with the people you started with. This is hard. I remember when early in the life of this church, I felt the Spirit of the Lord speak to me and said, Look around this room. None of them will be here in the end. What? You think our closest friends, our family, you know, our church, some of you had to relocate churches and, you know, there's no place like your home church. And I don't know if there's anyone here like that today. And it's not in my notes, but I want to just minister something to you. If the Lord's brought you here, I'll never be as good as your pastor. I'll never match up. Do this. Love him. And whatever love you got left over, I'll take that. And sometimes when you get to the journey, and it's no offense, you just separate. I know Ben and his precious wife got to go see people in michigan that they love love but you need to know that you can be in the perfect will of god and have to say goodbye to people where there's nothing wrong and that's hard sometimes you may not get to finish with the number of years you counted on we all planned on living at least at least this long didn't we i think sometimes that i'm 11 years older than my daddy when he died and I can't wrap my mind around that he wouldn't have had four kids if he thought he was going to die sometimes we don't live as long we don't live as full we don't is it safe to say and I hope you don't think I'm being pessimistic I just want to tell you experiential truth that I've had it's rarely like you thought but it can be glorious too If you'll let the picture you drew go and let God paint the picture He wants to paint. You may not get to finish with the possessions, status, and comfort you work towards. And you may not get to finish with success. Moses was called to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And because they were... So difficult to shepherd and he, in his weakness, he smote the rock twice, which was a symbol of Christ. And God said, you're not going to make it in. Worked all that time. You'll hear people say, if God's in it, it'll work. Not necessarily. What do you mean? Was God in Moses delivering the people? Yeah. Did he have success? No. And so Moses died and God buried him on the side of a mountain. Moses was so precious to God that he wouldn't let man bury him. What does that look like? Did he come in the form of a theophany as a man and pick him up in his arms? Did he? Did he go lay him down and dig a hole in the side of a mountain and put him in and cover him back? I don't know. I know God buried him because he knew they would have built an altar or a shrine to him. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the first, the first time Jesus let his glory come out, there appeared two men standing behind, beside him, Moses and Elijah. And they were, transfigured means being changed. Flesh glory, flesh glory, flesh glory like that. So here's Jesus and here's Moses. And Eli- Where was he? In the promised land. Did you get it? Some things don't end here like we want it to. But in the economy of God, grace transcends all those limitations. And we travel to places in grace that we never earned on the earth. Isn't that amazing? I finish with this. The question is not did did your life finish the way you wanted it, but did it finish the way God planned it? The question is not, did your life finish the way you wanted it, but the way God planned it. One of my favorite Bible figures, if not my favorite, is the life of David. King, shepherd boy, hurt little boy, alienated, misunderstood. He's just a real person. I I don't relate with the great victories that he had because he was such a a warrior from his youth. But when he slept with that man's wife, Uriah's wife and had him killed God was so angry with him that he killed the baby that was born. It It was a very difficult time for David. And from then on you know, people can forgive, but they remember. He was not just the sweet psalmist. And he was not just the king of Israel. But he's a man who covered up his adultery with the murder of a good man. And did you know it says in the book of Acts that David died fulfilling the will of God? In his generation. For that person. Like me. In this room. You've given up on yourself. Because you failed. You failed horribly. You failed visibly. And people remember. You can still finish the will of God. Because grace compensates. For failure. David in heaven. Is not known for his murder. But for grace. That operated in his heart. And David fulfilled the will of God. So, in closing, we know what's the will of God for us expressed. This is the will of God that you be thankful in all things. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. But for your personal life, don't search it, but surrender to it. Say, God, whatever you want for me, the answer is yes. You reveal it, yes. You want me to stay? Yes. You want me to go? Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. You can live in the perfect will of God. Well, How do I know? How do I know? Peace. It can have all kinds of problems, but if it's peace there, you, I'm in His will. There's only two types of people in this room. The people that are living in the will of God and people that are living outside the will of God. And God will never choose for you. God will never choose for you. And if living in the will of God was easy, more people would do it. But you have the capacity. You have the invitation. You have the opportunity to live in the will of God. There's no safer place. There's no more divine place. There's no more beautiful place. There's no more rewarding place. There is no more glorious place. You'll know. You'll know. It's called the sweet spot When you're right Where you're supposed to be Doing right I don't know what I'm supposed to do Then tell him I don't know what I'm supposed to do Guide me We stop traveling in the will of God At the last place we told the Lord no Go back and tell him yes Start over And finally Grace is sufficient for you Sufficient grace My grace is sufficient for you to start over, to finish, to overcome, to get through, rebuild. My grace is enough for you. And I just speak that over you as my church family today. Great grace is on your life. Great grace is on your life. It's on your life. It's on your life. May we prove by our lives what is the good Acceptable and perfect will of God for us, and don't let anybody talk you out of it. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, for that person, usually it's high school and college age, but it could be any of us. I just don't know what you want me to do, Lord. Show me. I pray that you would give them promptings and visions of what you want them to do, both now and in the future. I pray for that person, oh Lord, that's just too tired. They don't feel like they can continue. That you would breathe on them and give them strength for that person that sorrows today let them learn that you can walk and wipe tears at the same time and just keep going keep going it's going to be worth it oh Lord help us God Ben do you know the words to that one will you sing
1: it for us what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who says. It's coming.
0: the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. Follow the Lord. Lean on Him. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll direct your paths. For the Lord is faithful.